and welcome to Rainy Day Diaries, an imperfect podcast that will dive headfirst into how you can thrive in your creative life and business, even if you struggle with mental wellness. I am your host, Jennifer Lynn, and as a longtime struggler of anxiety and depression myself, I hope this podcast will help you realize that you could still get stuff done when you deal with all these crazy things on a daily basis, that you're not alone, and that falling down does not mean you won't get back up again. I thank you so much for listening, and as always, if you have any suggestions or questions or topics you'd love to hear about, please email me at jenniferlynn at gmail.com. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Today I'm talking to Lauren Lowen, who is a super awesome artist, and her work is quirky and fun and usually very entertaining and super cute, slightly nerdy. I love it. And um, I know I just said your name, but would you like to introduce yourself and uh, talk about like what you wanted to be when you were growing up or what you're doing now? Yeah. Hi, Jennifer. It's really exciting to be here. Uh, and I hope your your listeners enjoy this. So yes, my name is Lauren Lowen, and I've been illustrating for a little over 10 years. I graduated from the Rhode Island School of Design with a BFA in illustration and started in editorial and publishing work. And since then, I've gotten more into art licensing as well as advertising work. So I kind of uh, do several markets. Uh, currently, I am represented by Jennifer Nelson Artist. And I also teach. So I've also spent about 10 years teaching. I've taught at uh, RISD, uh, Montserrat College of Art in Massachusetts. And uh, I currently teach in Nashville at Watkins College of Art. And I don't think I can spill all the details, but it looks like I'm slated to teach in 2019 to be part of a Master's of Illustration program at a pretty well-known art school. So I kind of have to keep hush-hush about the details, but that's, that's very exciting. That is exciting. So, yeah, so I'm hoping to, to kind of formally announce that soon. Uh, to answer, so your question was, what, what did I want to be as a kid and what am I doing now? Yeah. Well, it's, it's so funny you mention that because I always remember probably around first grade, we had some sort of like school project where we were asked that question and I kind of folded the page. So I have two parts and on one side it said artist and it's like a crudely drawn strict stick figure with like a piece of art in a gallery. And then the other half said, mommy. And, <laughs> and I'm happy to say that I'm kind, I'm doing both. I'm an illustrator um, as well as uh, currently I'm expecting a little boy. Um, by the time this airs, I guess I'll be expecting him shorter amount of time. Um, but so it's kind of, I always tell people, I feel like success is when you could kind of tell your 12 year old self what you're doing now. And if they think it was cool and approved, then you're probably doing something right. So it's really fun to know that the kid version of me would absolutely approve of what I'm doing. <laughs> I love that. That's so cool. <laughs> uh, and a really good quote. <laughs> Uh, so then you knew really young what you wanted to do. What age was that? Was that like a teenager or was that like really young, like kindergarten? I, I mean, that, that little silly art project I told you about, that's like first grade. I was, I was always a creative kid, but it was kind of funny because my brother was actually more the artist of the family. He was the one who had the sketchbooks and was drawing Ninja Turtles and all sorts of uh, things. And I really didn't keep a sketchbook or get serious about it until I was in middle school in like seventh grade. So I'm probably 12 going on 13. And I even remember my mom saying, she was, she was like, maybe that's like your brother's thing. 
Um, and uh, she, she is, if you talk to her, she quickly corrects herself and how wrong she was because uh, I'm the one who ended up going to, to art school and uh, doing illustration. And uh, so it's kind of funny how it worked out, but I knew I wanted to do something creative. I actually thought I was going to go into animation or fashion design because that's kind of, it seems like such a cliche, but every like teenage girl is like, I want to go into fashion design. Um, but I actually like illustration wasn't really on my radar until I was in art school. My first year, I saw the presentation and I was really impressed and, um, sort of amazed by the, just the variety there is in the market. I always thought if you were an illustrator, you had to do children's books or sort of like political cartoons of elephants and donkeys punching each other. Um, so once I realized there was such a broad approach to illustration and that it encompassed a lot of things that I enjoyed. Um, that's when I thought like, Oh, okay. Like this is what I want to do. So that, that was like a little different. It's funny you say that because when, so when I decided like, okay, I'm going to do illustration, my dad and I grew up. So my dad's like, Oh, well then you better start pitching newspapers and getting some political cartoons in there. Uh, and like, we're not like a politics family. And that's like, so not my style of anything. <laughs> like, I, I just think it's funny that, well, unfortunately, like newspapers has slightly depleted, but like, that's what people think of is sure. like, Oh, like you're going to do this then that's the only option. Like, exactly. And so, I find even my, my students, sorry, I was going to say, oh, no, go ahead. even my college students, like I still, the very first day of class, what I do is I show them, I just throw all these images in a presentation just to show them the variety of illustration because a lot of it is still sort of um, shaking that out of their heads. They, they come in with their own pre preconceived notions of what illustration has to be or has to not be. So I, I find I even deal with on a daily basis with them. But I love that because that's what changed your mind too. So you're literally yeah. showing them what showed you, like your path, which is really yeah. cool. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Oh <my> gosh. <laughs> so what, then by middle school, you knew you were kind of into art. So what were your teen years kind of like? Oh gosh. So uh, my teen years, I was definitely like, like the art student, like in the yearbook when they show like most artistic, it was my picture. <laughs> <laughs> I, remember, I actually, middle school was awkward because um, it's middle school. Mm -hmm. uh, and high school, I actually had a really good high school experience. I went to a good school. Um, there were different, definitely different flavors of students there, but we all got <laughs> along. I don't want to say clicks, but I guess I will. But it wasn't like, oh, the jocks and the punk kids are, you know, duking it out. Everyone got along really well, even though there were a lot of different flavors. and. Uh, and I was doing art. I was the president of the art club and national. Oh God, what was it called? It was like the, um, well, some some like you know, program. Um, and I was doing choir and I was doing musical theater. Um, and overall, I just I just uh, had like a really good experience in high school, and just kind of told myself like oh, I, I, I'm going to pursue this in college. I'm just going to do it. Like there never was any fear or like plan B. It was just like, obviously this is what I'm going to do. And I think actually where it got weird for me, my teenage years was my weird, um, was my later 
15 years when I went to RISD. Um, that jump from going from my high school to college, I definitely had sort of a rude awakening of what that reality was. And that's when it started to mess with me. Rude awakening, like in what way? And the way that um, I went from high school where, you know, and RISD and other top schools in the country, they're, they're picking up the best from uh, mm-hmm. everywhere around the world, not just in um, the United States. So I kind of went from being like at the top of the totem pole at my school and then being thrown into an art college where there's some really, really amazing talent. And just being like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm average. (laughs) (laughs) And it really messaged my self-confidence and my, my identity a lot. Um, And so freshman year was, was hard for me, Um, especially because in a lot of colleges, they have a foundation year. So for art school, so you're with other freshmen. So you're, you're just surrounded by all these people that are dealing with their own stuff and drama. And I was always used to actually having, I had plenty of friends that were my age, but because of my older brother, I had plenty of friends that were also like a year or two older. Mm-hmm. And I realized my freshman year of college, how um, that dynamic, um, I always had cousins too, that were much older than me. So I realized only being with people my age that were all going through this traumatic first year of college <laughs> was just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like this is insane. Um, but I knew, I remember even coming home for Christmas, my mom being like, you know, you can transfer if it's not working out. Um, but I, I told her, it's like, you know, these are just, these are just growing pains. Like these are the pains I'm going to have at any school. Mm -hmm. So I stuck it out. And by the time I got to sophomore year and into my department, things, things improved greatly, but yeah, that first year was intense. So I feel like all the things that I like all the struggling that most kids do in high school, you'd more did in college. <laughs> like, so was there like anything specific that helped you get through that or anything that's specific that like, other than just being around tons of talented people that yeah, harder or easier or? Yeah, yeah. No, unfortunately, freshman year, I, it was one of the things I, like I said, whether it was growing pains or something, I just had to get through it. Mm-hmm. You're mature enough to know that though. That's impressive. <laughs> like. I, it was one of those things that I, I've always been very like self-aware of and insightful, which is kind of like a blessing and a curse, but it, it really was. And, and there were some goofy things I'm sure I did looking back of just being awkward and insecure, but um, you know, it was just kind of, I, I did the best I could and I slugged through it. And then um, I, one of the things that helped sophomore year, like I said, getting into my department, I met some people who transferred in um, and got to know them and finally found like I connected with a few people. I moved out of the dorms and into a normal setting. So that was really important. Um, and, and so, you know, a lot of it was just kind of one of those transition periods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was there, the rest of college? Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to say, but unfortunately there wasn't any like magic bullet during freshman year. It, I, I hate to say the phrase like suck it up. But to some extent, I knew it was just like, you're just going to have to get a little better like day by day and, and it will get better. Yeah. Was the rest of college better or like? <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There was just like any college experience. There were times that, you know, you're frantic or you're 
again, it's always, it's funny because like, I'm so glad that when I was in college, Instagram didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Facebook had just come out. And even then that's back when it was just for college kids. So your grandmother and and every person wasn't on it. Um, (laughs) So we didn't, we had blogs and we had the internet, but it was intimidating enough having classmates that were really talented, even though they were my friends. Um, like that enough sometimes would kind of shake me just going into critique, seeing somebody else get a good critique and suddenly being like, well, Oh gosh, like maybe I'm doing something wrong. Like they're, they're doing this and they're getting a lot of good feedback. Like maybe I should be doing that. Is that the answer? And even now I think today in Instagram, you know, now, now that it's like that times a million where it's like, Oh man, this one thing I posted didn't get a lot of likes, but Hey, my friend posted this thing and got like a thousand likes. Should I be doing that? Um, so, you know, there's, there was always moments like that, but yeah, the rest of my college experience was a lot better. Yeah. I don't like the, the comparison times a million now. It's so hard. It is. I don't know how my students deal with it, especially since they went through it, having that in middle school and high school. Yeah. I can't imagine. Mm -hmm. It's like, it was so hard enough back then and we didn't even have any of any of this. <laughs> yeah. Goodness. Uh, so I know you mentioned just kind of moving out of the dorms and like just kind of knowing you had to get through it, but was there anything specifically uh, or someone specifically that helped you get through a hard time or has helped you get through hard times? Like are any kind of mantras or things you do when you're struggling these days? Sure. So I know kind of like one of the questions you sent me was like, you know, when, when has a really like hard time happened and how do you get through that? And um, I think realistically, and especially with sort of the spirit of the podcast and kind of the message it's spreading, um, I definitely have to talk about something that happened the last year to me, which was my miscarriage. And I'll let your listeners know if they need to fast forward. I'll talk about it in the most tasteful way, but you know, it is a type of physical trauma that might be a trigger for some people. So kind of heads up to everyone if they need to fast forward. But uh, that for me was a recent and very difficult thing to go through. And definitely like through that, I had, I had people and things that I realized from it, but I guess I should just go into it if that's okay. And I'll kind of tell you and how I got through that and how that affected me, especially since it is a more current thing than college. But I, I got pregnant last year and unfortunately had a blighted ovum, um, which is when it's, it's health class, everyone. Uh, <laughs> when a woman gets pregnant, like she doesn't just go straight to making a baby. She makes a little a little home for it, a little sack. And what you want to see is that after so many weeks that, uh, you know, there's a little baby in there. That's what you're hoping to see on the sonogram. And for some women, that second stage just never happened. So unfortunately, that's what happened to me is I went in for the sonogram and it just, like it, nobody was home essentially. It looked like I had just like a giant void. And what even made it worse is that like the, the woman actually reading the sonogram had like the worst bedside manner. Oh my gosh, uh, I hate that. Which, yeah, which now I can laugh about, but you know, I just remember her being like, okay, so um, there's no fetus, and that just means that you're gonna have, it was just so matter of factly that it kind of took, 
it kind of just took me by surprise. And I was just like, wait, what are you telling me? And my husband actually couldn't be there that day last minute. So oh my gosh. I had to go through that alone. And then I had to kind of call him on the phone and tell him what was going on. And we were both just shattered. And what was even worse was I had the, so I was diagnosed and I was kind of told like your body's going to, you know, have a, a miscarriage. You can either have the procedure or you are early enough that you can just have one naturally. And for some women, it's, you know, easier than others. And I, unfortunately, I decided to have it naturally, but unfortunately it was, I was one of the women who have a harder time. So it was the worst pain in my life. And I didn't have any major drugs, um, which I, <laughs> looking back, I'm like, ah, oh, wish I had some. So that happened, which is horrible enough, but the real kind of episode, it was only the beginning because unfortunately I would later learn that my body wasn't successful in the miscarriage. So it still thought it was pregnant, but I was miscarrying at the same time. So some women afterwards, they just continue to bleed a little bit. And for some women, it's like two weeks. For some, it's six weeks. It's just one of those things where every woman's different. So there wasn't really any precise way to measure how things were going. It's just kind of like, you know, just day by day. About a month later, I had what I call part two of the miscarriage, where I didn't feel normal that morning, but no excruciating pain. And then later that night, I was home and just will say I just felt something that didn't feel right. And unfortunately, I was, we'll just say I was confronted with the tissue of the failed pregnancy. Um, and that was, that was traumatic and surreal in a completely different way because I wasn't in any pain. And so when you are in pain, your body sort of builds like a mental bubble around you. It's like when people are in a car wreck and they say like, I can hardly remember anything. Everything's kind of fuzzy and blurry. And, you know, physical pain does that too. And this round, I didn't have any pain. So I was oddly aware it was going on, almost like watching a movie and sort of being like, oh, okay. And so I experienced it in, in kind of like a whole different way, uh, which was not pleasant. But I thought like, okay, I'm not in any pain. I, I heard this can happen. So I guess now I'm done. And then three weeks later, I was out with my friends and we were out to lunch in the parking lot. Again, I felt something that was just not, I knew not normal. And I just dropped to the ground. And um and not like I fainted or collapsed, but I just sort of a gut reaction. I just, oh, like I just lowered myself so I could touch the asphalt because I just knew something wasn't right. And I just, you know, just kind of turned myself into a little ball, uh, but no pain. But basically, and this was weird because I was out in public, took, you know, took myself aside and basically had just passed a crazy amount of blood in a matter of seconds. Um, and uh, again, it was one of those things where I'm just in my head, it's like, okay, how are you doing? You're fine. You're not in any pain. Um, I guess I should, you know, like clean this up or, you know, do whatever because I'm, I'm in like a Whole Foods bathroom basically like going through this and, you know, just, just was very logical. But again, it was just a very surreal experience. Um, and then just like calmly went back to the studio with my friends and we evaluated that it was okay. Next day called my doctor and they, they had me come in right away. They diagnosed the problem. And then the next day I had the, I had the procedure that I was trying to avoid in the first place, which is kind of ironic. Um, and so, so yeah, so it wasn't just 
the pain of our emotional pain of going through the miscarriage, but it was the fact that it like 10 weeks later, it kept, it kept sort of like coming back and, and haunting me in more than one way. Um, and so that was, yeah, that was just like so crazy. And, and to kind of be reminded of that, that trauma that just kept like coming back and being confronted with like how it felt not only to like, you know, cause when that happens, I had a very supportive husband, but like, I couldn't help but feel like I'd failed as a mother, as a woman, as a wife, like all these dynamics are going on. And, um, I know you asked like, how did I, you know, how, how would I get through that? Like, how did I get through that? And I think one of the most important things during that time was my husband and I were there for each other. Our families were there for us. But I realized very quickly I needed people outside of my marriage to talk to. I needed friends or -hmm. colleagues because if we were the only people dealing with each other, getting us through that, that would be a really heavy toll on the marriage and that relationship. And I know, you know, you read about that sort of thing, kind of breaking couples up. It's just too much. But one thing that was very important to me was my, my studio mates at um, the studio I work called The Warren in Nashville. They were there for me. They, they talked to me about it when I wanted to talk about it. They, um, they were just a great distraction also. Uh, it was so weird because in a way that summer was so just, yeah, horrible and like a nightmare. But at the same time, there was oddly something so magical about it when it came to these people. because we were having these sleepovers and campfires and, you know, enjoying each other. And um, I had an intern that um, gave that experience of him, of his internship and his enthusiasm gave me something really positive to focus on. So it was kind of a mixture of, of support, but also just people being there for you and offering a distraction. That's such a blessing. Like yeah. you have them. And I look at all the photos of you in here. You have like the coolest group of people that oh. you can be with all the time. Hey, it's social media. Don't, by the way. <laughs> oh, I know. But the funny thing is I've known, I mean, I've known about some of them for years anyway. Yeah. Like, it's just funny that there's a lot of people I've known or known through the grapevine and they're all just like, I guess every blue moon I get to see them like huddled together doing something. I don't know. Like <laughs> it's, just a blessing it's a blessing to have like people nearby that like you could talk to like that it, it really is deal. and it was it was interesting because I will add that my husband and I had very different ways like he's very private and I'm so it we had to sort of navigate together not only how we would deal with the trauma together mm-hmm. as a couple for each other but also separately and we had to sort of respect the fact that we did have different ways um, my husband wanted it was very private about it very internal and i think he didn't want people to know because he he didn't want not because there was any sort of like shame or anything because there there to some extent can still be sort of a stigma but for him he was just like if people know that's the only thing they're going to talk about next time i see them or they're going to you know and for me my reaction was the complete opposite i was like i want to build a tower of love around me it's like when people ask me how are you i just want to be honest and be like you know what like kind of crappy this happened. And I just, if for me, it was painful to 
I feel like I was just lying basically for people to be like, how are you? And be like, everything's fine. Um, when it really wasn't. And, um, so, you know, he understood very early on that some of these friends were going to be, you know, confidence or confidants for me. And, but at the same time, I had to respect the fact that, you know, there were his, his comfort and boundaries in mind and how to deal with it. And we kind of had to navigate that together. I feel the same way. Like my husband's a lot more private than I am. Yeah. Um, And so even like when we were, I thought I would miscarry. Like I was almost certain. And so even before we started, even before we decided to have a baby, I'm like, okay, I'm going to tell these few people because I'm going to need those people. Like if this thing I think is going to happen goes wrong. And so that's like, even that was like, why are you telling all these people we're going to try to have a baby? (laughs) Just because I need someone to know in case I need love. Like, Yeah, yeah. And there is kind of always that thing of like, don't announce it after, you know, you get so far. But, you know, I always had a few trusted individuals who knew from the very beginning, because if something does go wrong, or if you're just, you know, sometimes it's just easier to tell people if I'm passing on having a beer, they're going to be suspicious anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so for me, a big part of that was, um, it's funny because I, oh, and also what was now like kind of a big, I always joke as a big middle finger from the universe, but it's sort of a funny thing to talk about now is during that time, this whole time, I'm working on a full book based on motherhood. That's my big client job that summer is doing this book and just being like, you know, but like I said, I I can't, the the dark comedian me can't help but look at that and kind of laugh at it now. But so like work was kind of, weird because I didn't really want to make any personal work and I didn't and I kind of felt like I couldn't because I had this big book I should be working on so if I did feel like working I should be working on it uh, which was hard at times but like I said I had the friends and I had the the internship that I could focus on the student intern and part of me like channeled that energy one of the things I did to kind of get over that was I I you know, took that sort of natural nurturing energy and was like, well, gosh, darn it. Like if I'm, if I'm not, not going to be a mom, like if it's not going to be uh, a parent child thing, like I'm going to pour that energy into the, the internship I was dealing with. Um, because I, I mean, I realize that's different, but I'm also not oblivious to the fact that like the mentor student dynamic kind of has some of those same characteristics. So, you know, I just felt like, I'm going to pour myself into that. And then um, fall semester, I'm going to, gosh darn, I'm going to be like the best teacher I can be. And, and <laughs> just like was so pumped. And I actually realized that as, as um, the, the semester was going on, like something was a little off and I couldn't figure it out. And then around October, I kind of finally realized one day driving home that I... I had sort of like was using that as a crutch, which was, which was fine. Like I needed that, but it kind of made me realize that I was ready to let go of that and just kind of face some of the more emotional issues. Um, So I just had like the biggest cry on the way home. Um, Just like, and then I I ended up in like an Arby's parking lot, which is also kind of funny, like (laughs) just (laughs) crying about this and being like, Oh, I'm going to get some curly fries. Um, you should get the mozzarella sticks too. Those yeah, <laughs> but just realizing that 
and it was very therapeutic in a way. It was almost like I just realized a little voice in my head was like, you're ready now. Like you can let go of this, of this thing that's been carrying you through emotionally and actually deal with it. And it was really the first time I allowed myself to say, like, I lost my baby. Because up until that point, I was using very medical terms. And, you know, one of the things that I know you and I were kind of talking about in other ways was when people are like, oh, it, it can, like, it could be worse. And my grandmother always said that. And I've always used that phrase to sort of give perspective to any sort of like trauma that happens. Because um, it could, it could. I know plenty of people, I won't name names, obviously, but they've lost children that were farther along. I've known people who've lost children, you know, that, that after they were born, which is a horrible thing. So part of you can't help but be like, oh man, it could be worse. Like I know all these people who personally, you know, went through so much. And the problem is that it might add perspective, but it almost robs you of the ability to be upset or angry or sad. It almost makes you feel like you're being a jerk if you're feeling weak or like you need help. And, um, and that's one of the things that I, I realized too, was that I, it was okay that I felt bad. That just because I didn't lose a child at five months or seven months or one year, it's like it didn't, it didn't negate the pain I was feeling. Absolutely. Like the yeah. whole time you were just saying this, I'm like, but it's okay. Exactly. It's okay it if you is. feel like crap. Like it's, you're allowed and it sucks either way. And Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting place we're at as as a society because we we do we do when we're practicing a lot of techniques that have to deal with gratitude and realizing that there's many people not only in our country but around the world that have it you know not as well as we do and so again that kind of idea of gratitude and perspective but at the same time I see people especially even my students where they again they feel like um, they don't have permission to feel bad or hurt. Uh, if something does happen to them, because there's always somebody, you know, that could have it worse than you or does. And it is sort of, it, it makes people feel like they're being a jerk or they're selfish for mm-hmm. yeah, having negative feelings and processing them. There needs to be a middle. Like, yeah. <laughs> I like, I feel like every conversation I've been having lately has been like, there needs to be a middle. Like maybe I should <laughs> name my podcast the middle because like, <laughs> because they're both, I mean, Yes, some things could be worse, and in a lot of perspectives, they could be, but in a lot of perspectives, this is your right now, and it's okay to, like, feel like crap and need help and need help getting through it or, you know, deal with it. Like, I feel like a lot of people are also like, all right, just move on. Like, this thing happened. Like, it could be worse, so just keep going. Like, and we're a very keep-going society. Like, just keep swimming. Yeah, just keep swimming. (laughs) But which is good. We should keep swimming, but we we can also take a little breather. Like yeah, and I, you know my, that night that was very important when I finally said that I kind of fully allowed myself to acknowledge. I felt like I was ready to really deal with it. Um, I remember talking to my mom, and she said something that really stuck with me. And because uh, I told her, I'm like, I feel I feel bad for me feeling bad. Like you know, all these women have had to deal with so much worse. And she's like, misery is not a competition you know, or, or, or trauma, you know, it's not a competition. It's like you, you went through what you went through and you know, that's, it's perfectly normal. And a lot of people would say healthy just to kind of go through that. I had a friend who, when I came out, I did kind of publicly talk about it. I had a friend who came out and said that told me she's had 
three miscarriages in one year. And that just blew my mind. And part of me did feel like, oh my gosh, here I am. I just went through this and, but she's done it three times. So obviously that means that she's had it so much worse, but she was there for me and I was there for her. And it didn't, it wasn't about like who's gone through a worse experience. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. totally. Two people can go through the same type of hard thingy and it's going to hit people differently, no matter true who they are. I tend to be more on the very overwhelmed emotional side. So, <laughs> and some people just handle a little better and then move on. And some people grieve in their own ways. And grieving, I think, is super important because you can go through your whole life not dealing with something and then it just hits you. Like years later, like something you didn't deal with. So better to do it now. (laughs) Exactly. On the various experiences you talked about today, some a little scarier than others, how do you think they've impacted your choices going forward or how you not necessarily treat people, but like how you learned you can, that other people have gone through what you've gone through and maybe your personality, like. Yeah. I would say, I mean, that the one I just talked about going through the miscarriage and that, that hasn't even been a year. So I'm sure I'll be kind of learning lessons from it, you know, for years to come and stuff. Um, but uh, I, I, that, that experience definitely taught me uh, a lot about patience in life and with myself and just sort of realizing that sometimes things happen and you kind of have to shelve your expectations sometimes. Um, so d- uh, definitely that, like that somewhere went very differently for me than I could have ever imagined. And um, so that's, you know, one thing. And then I would say a lot of what I talked about earlier about just being insightful about my experience as a creative going through some of the things I went through in college. Um, it's really affected me as a teacher. Um, I love teaching and we kind of alluded to this earlier, but I feel like a lot of what I do is I kind of help students rewire their brains. Um, a big part is obviously teaching them like the business side of it and, uh, get helping them get better at conceptual thinking and execution. But a a big ingredient, I think, I feel like to someone's education is also, I like to work with my students on individual basis and kind of figure out what their personal hangups are or like, what is it that you're doing specifically that's getting in your way? And how do we get around that? So just because I've had to deal with that so much in my own life, uh, creatively, it, it makes me very aware that my students are going through that, even if they don't realize it and kind of helping them work through, yeah, just sort of what other, what, what mental blocks are stopping them. You're a good teacher. Can you be my teacher? Like, <laughs> that sounds amazing and caring and like a whole other level of teaching. You're not just going in being like, this is how this teacher or this is how this person did this. Like you're like giving your all and that's amazing. I didn't have that in college. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I, I had, I'm happy to say I had uh, great teachers. Maybe some of them have like stuck with me years years later more than others, but, um, I'm, I'm kind of surprised some of the same things I, I see, uh, that, that happen over and over. Like I have, I have students that they'll do maybe just fine work, but I'll look in their sketchbooks and be like, this is amazing. Like, why, why aren't you doing more of this? And they're like, Oh, well, I'm just like playing around. I'm not being serious. Yeah. This is my serious work. And 
Uh, and I'm like, this is great. And they're like, really? I can't, can I do this? Like, does this count? Sure. Why not? And you're like, have um, you seen my Instagram? Like, <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the fire breathing panda I just posted in the unicorn? <laughs> but it's not just being like silly. It's like they might do something and it's really loose or abstract. And again, just kind of working through their preconceived notions of, of what art or illustration or design like has, has to be. Um, and I find it very rewarding. And it's actually one of the reasons why, you know, people are always asking if I'll do a digital or like an online class. And it's one of the things that has prevented me from doing that because I just, I just think as a teacher, I'm way more valuable working with my students one-on-one because of, of that dynamic. All those kind of like happy accidental discoveries and sketchbooks and conversations that come up during critique. And they'll say something and I'll be like, wait a minute, wait, wait, you just said this. Let's get a little bit more into it. Why are you saying that? And then we, we dig and dig and we find something that's like a big breakthrough for them. That sounds so cool. It sounds so much better than my college experience. (laughs) But uh, yeah, that sounds awesome. And I'm excited for your potential, maybe other teaching opportunity. And is there any other um, projects or any other exciting things you wanted to share or uh, other ways people can reach you like online, website, Instagram? I know we just talked about your Instagram, which is so fun. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, there's a couple things. Um, again, my agent is Jennifer Nelson artist. So I have a, um, a page on her site, obviously. Um, and I'm in very good company with um, some very talented artists there. Uh, I do have an Instagram. I, I'm sure all this will be in the show notes, but it's a little different. Just it's Lauren Mincolo and it has my maiden name. I have a website, laurenlowen.com, which hopefully by the time this airs, it will be up. I'm sort of revamping it right now. (laughs) Um, And then those are the best ways to kind of follow me when I'm doing. As far as projects, I have the the book coming out that I kind of alluded to that's coming out before Mother's Day. And it's called A Pocket Full of Hope. It's available on uh, Amazon for early, early release and stuff. And so that's full of illustrations and patterns and um, all sorts of little things that I did. I'm really excited about that. Uh, I got some new clients on my roster. I'm very excited because Cost Plus World Market picked up some of my art and I've always wanted to get in their stores. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. That probably won't show up for a few months. Oh, it's funny. I should be better prepared for this. There's... <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> no, those uh, are all great things. Yeah, I just I just completed a huge advertising campaign with LG Mobile, and that that was out not that long ago. Um, that was exciting, and yeah, I have everything from calendars to activity books to um, wrapping paper coming out this year. I have a lot of projects and licensing things, and I'm very excited for them to actually come out in the real world. I just unfortunately won't know when, and I, I don't think I can talk about the clients right now. Yeah, and that's and that's. Totally fine. In yeah, this type you know, of world, you work on things and it doesn't appear for years. Like, exactly. That's just the professional artist world and licensing anyway, or client work like this. But. Yeah. So have to keep some stuff mom, but yeah, a lot, a lot of exciting things for 2018. Yay. And a baby. And a baby. Yes. So that, that luckily had a, a happy ending. It did. It's kind of crazy that when you started the project, like it was 
a completely different experience than when the project comes out. Exactly, right? That's kind of the most amazing full circle ever. <laughs> like, I know. I prefer the previous circle of it, the other half, to <laughs> not have happened. But, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's symmetrical. <laughs> I tell people it's just, it's all part of my story and that's, that's okay. Well, yay. I loved talking with you and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and sharing all these things with me and yay. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, it's so glad to be here and I'm, I'm so excited to be a part of this podcast. I think, I think it's a wonderful idea because I love, whether it's podcasts or live events, whether it's creatives or people in different fields, I just think there's, there's so much humanity that goes on sort of underneath the surface. And when you really start to kind of dig into that, you, it's, it's interesting. And there's usually a lot of gold nuggets that I take away when I hear people talk about it. So I'm hoping that people and your listeners get the same from your podcast, that they leave with something that really stuck to them. Thank you. Well, I definitely have like three or four things I have to re-listen to and you of your gold nuggets. <laughs> so, so I'm excited to like re-listen and be like, oh yeah, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I got to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> well, yay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. If you liked the episode, please subscribe or even better, leave a review. It makes iTunes really happy and hopefully makes them share this podcast with other people, which would make me really happy. If you have any ideas for topics to cover or for people you'd like me to interview, please email me. My email address is in the show notes. And thank you again. Have a great day.